Hey everybody and hello humans. This is Josh with Not A Robot Podcast, DC Comics Review Show, your favorite DC Comics Review Show. And as always, my two partners in comic crime are here with me today. We have Brandon. Hello, hello everybody. Happy holidays, I think. And our regular host who's not doing so well, which is why you have to hear more of me, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Rob caught a little bit of that holiday flu, so uh, we're all over here lending our, our health to him, hoping that he feels better soon. It, it's the ultimate gift, really. It's, <laughs> it's I mean, the gift that keeps on giving, flu. truly. Exactly. <laughs> the At least it's not it's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it, it never stops giving. <laughs> well... Given that we all have obligations to take care of today, Rob needs to go to bed, Brandon needs to get a haircut, and I need to go get some food, we're just going to go ahead and jump right on in, unless there is any amazing news that we need to share with our listeners, should we just jump on into the books? I I got nothing, but I've been so out of it, I haven't really been able to look. I haven't even really checked, I've just been so busy with the holiday stuff, I'm not really sure what's going on in, in comics or anywhere else. Yeah, I am right there with you about the only thing that I had to say about news isn't even really news, but um, I am not excited for Lazarus Planet just because the events have let me down for quite some time now, but I have to say that that solicit page in this week's comics with Damian, Bruce, Power Girl, Ivy, and Cyborg, uh, plus Batman and Monkey Prince, uh, that's a weird fucking team, and I really can't wait to see what they're like together. I hope that's not misleading whatsoever. But with Wade and Yang on it, I do have some hope. Uh, that's all I've got to say. Now, this week we are going to mention very quickly Batman Beyond the White Knight number seven, Batman Gotham Knights Gilded City number three, Batman the Audio Adventures number four, Sergeant Rock versus the Army of the Dead number four, DC Mech number six, which was the end of that. DC versus Vampires also concluded with number 12. Nice House on the Lake can be added to that one with number 12 of 12 as well. Riddler oh, year one, tears. number two. Yeah, tears indeed. Riddler year, num- Riddler year one, number two. I was going to get my numbers all mixed up there. Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons, number three of three, and Young Justice Targets, number six of six. For the end of the year, we sure did have a whole hell of a lot of end of titles. And finally, in our honorable mentions, I'm just going to bring up Tales from Earth 6, a celebration of Stan Lee. Other than Young Justice Targets and Riddler Year One, I really enjoyed all the rest of the books that were on the honorable mentions. And while the Tales from Earth 6 didn't exactly have any standout stories or anything that I would rave about at all, um, it was kind of cool to go back and visit Stan Lee's chance to work with some of DC's artists, which is where we got Earth 6 from. Now those are our honorable mentions. In the rest of the show, we're going to talk about Blue Beetle Graduation Day number 2 of 6, Harley Quinn number 25, Punchline Gotham Game number 3 of 6, and Tim Drake Robin number 4. That's our Quick Bites in the spotlight. We've got Sandman Universe Presents The Dead Boy Detectives number 1. Woohoo! John Stewart, The Emerald Knight number 1. And for our full analysis... We are going to be looking at Detective Comics 1067 and the 
long-awaited action comics number 1050. Uh, since we're all caught up on everything that's going on, let's go ahead and graduate toward doing our reviews with Brandon and Blue Beetle Graduation Day number two. My pleasure. So as you said, this is Blue Beetle Graduation Day chapter two. Uh, written by Josh Trujillo with art from Adrian Gutierrez and colors from Will Quintana with letters from Lucas Catoni. Uh, I apologize in advance. I did not get to write down a lot of my reviews. So I'm doing this on the fly, which I've not done in a while. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep this brief also, trying to make sure I, I hit all the bases. Um, but I forgot how hard it was. Yeah, I know. I forgot how hard it was to just talk on the fly. Um, basically the gist of it is, um, we're catching up with Jaime, who is working at his, his Tia's diner in Palmera City, and he's having a bit of a tough time. He's had this video that he's sending to his friends Paco and Brenda about how great his life is, but really, it's not that great, and he's, he's, you know, feeling kind of out of it, feeling like he's not really finding his place, but hopefully he can find some solace in an old friend, so he goes to the Cord Industries building over in Palmera City, uh, to check in with Ted, as he had an appointment that day. And who should show up but the new villain revealed uh, last issue, the new Beetle Dynastis, as they are calling them. Um, and they do battle for a little bit um, before Dynastis seems to get the upper hand on Jaime. But thankfully, uh, before you know she can strike the final, or they can strike the final blow, uh, Ted Cord appears and sprays her with some anti-kinetic goo. Always happy to have that on hand. Um, and then... Uh, in a strange turn of events, the gold beetle um, Dynastis transforms back into her, or untransforms, I should say, back to her human form, um, and reveals that their name is Zermara, and that they're still trying to figure out their beetle stuff as well. Um, Ted tries to provide some support for Jaime, saying that he'll be there if he needs them. You know, maybe don't try and do the blue beetle stuff right now, but if you need someone to talk to, I'll be here, which I thought was really nice. And then Jaime makes his way back to his Tia's diner um, and has a little chat with them. But before he can call it quits for the night, who should show up demanding his help but Starfire? And that's where we end our issue. Um, I'm just having a great time with the series. I, I gotta be honest. Um, I'm, I'm not in love with the art. Oh, yeah, sure. It's a little, I don't know. It's a little too crazy. It's almost like manic. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, it's, it's, it's got like these expressions that are almost comical and it make them, yes. makes some of the characters look a little deranged. Um, but the energy and the, the heart is there and I love that. And, um, you know, I don't know that I'm as big of a Jaime Reyes fan as you are, Josh, but um, this series is sort of just reminding me of why I like Jaime um, and why he's such a great character and such an endearing one. And I like that it's, you know, it's, it's doing a very kind of natural approach to it. It's, it's Jaime growing up and trying to figure out what to do next with his life. Um, and I'm, I'm also happy Being to see that Ted... By Superman. <laughs> yeah, I know, literally grounded. Um, and I'm also happy to see that Ted is back in the picture and is being a mentor to Jaime, which is always fun to see. So I'm having a blast with the series so far. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a shame it's a miniseries. I feel like they have a lot of gas in this one and could do some, some fun as an ongoing. But uh, who knows? Who knows what uh, the future holds? But I gave this one an 8.5 out of 10. I had a lot of fun. Um, I had a lot of fun with it too, man. I thought it was kind of cool that they had an, uh, uh, Yemenez Street in Palmera City. Yeah, to, yeah. To, to one of DC's great artists of the day. Uh, interesting cameo pop-ups that were kind of showing up out of nowhere, like him just randomly bullshitting with Jessica Cruz. 
the art was good, but like Brandon, it was it was a bit off. I don't know if I would call it manic, but it was definitely exaggerated. Um, a lot of faces, yeah. posture of people, shadow, lighting were off, shading. Um, and that was distracting in the issue, but overall I liked it. And I'm seeing a hell of a setup here. It's making me think that this might need more than six issues, and I'm a little worried about that. We'll see, though. I love mm-hmm. Jaime Reyes. There is not a bigger fan of Jaime Reyes than me. Not even Jaime Reyes or his team. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe Jaime, what, what would it be? Like, Blue Blue Might, Blue Beetle Might is a bigger <laughs> fan than go. you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Whatever That's fourth that. dimensional imp Jaime Reyes has. Yeah. Mr. Kaji Might. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I am having a hell of a fun time with this one, and I do hope that it leads to seeing more Jaime Reyes past the upcoming movie and past this six-issue movie. Uh, because of the art, though, and the, the slightly confusing cameos that popped up, um, I did only give this one a 7.5 out of 10. Trying to be reasonable with something I'm a fanboy of. How about you, Rob? Uh, solid story, still. Uh, I, I also rather enjoyed the the cartoony reactions. There was one in particular from Ted Cord that stuck out at me uh, when <laughs> he introduced his mouth. sister. His jaw just like dropped at something she said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really cool. Uh, introducing Victoria Cord, I think, is a very nice touch and good timing with the movie coming out next year and mm-hmm. Victoria Cord being a player in the movie. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how she plays out in this book compared to in the movie. Uh, being, I believe, a new character in total. Uh, yeah, it's... As far as I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know shockingly little about Ted Kord's past, so honestly, I don't even know if he had any siblings before this. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. Shit, there's something Brandon doesn't know. That's yeah. what I know. <laughs> I, I'm no Blue Beetle expert, honestly. That's that's one of my blind spots. All right, we have to go on a Justice League International reading spree. I know, I know. There we go. All right. <laughs> Just pause some blue and gold in your life, man. Yeah. <laughs> I should read more Blue Beetle. What did you give it, Rob? This I, I gave this an 8.5 out of 10. I rather enjoyed it. I think it's a good series so far. I also wish it was an ongoing, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, well, I mean, so the art in this one was a little exaggerated, a little bright, a little like and that's where we're going next with Harley Quinn number 25 and our ever enigmatic and energy filled Rob full of health is going to tell us all about Harley Quinn number 25. See and here I thought you were going to say going from multiple Beatles to multiple Harleys but oh damn I missed it. <laughs> I, I, I saw it in my mind's eye like the last minute. And if, if you have the number for that energy filled Rob give him a call. Yeah, uh, it's long distance. <laughs> All right, this is Harley Quinn number twenty-five. I do not believe it's one of my first issues I read, so I don't remember if it was an oversized anniversary issue, like they used to do. But I don't believe it was. Uh, and this one is written by Stephanie Phillips with art from Matteo Lolly and David Baldion, with colors from Rain Burrito, letters from Darren Bennett, and a cover from Lolly and Burrito. Uh, simply put, Harley and old lady Harley go up against killer Frank Miller Harley and a fight for survival <laughs> that ends in Harleys from all over the multiverse appearing at once, including the famous and mysterious Mermaid Harley. 
uh, and I had a lot of fun <laughs> tweaking out different Harleys from across the multiverse. There, I know. Of cute ones. I did too. Uh, like I was I, trying I rather, to figure out who they all were. Yeah. yeah. And there was a pirate Harley. Names. I think There's there was a old lady Harley. Our Harley. I think maybe Harley the Betas Harley. Yep, Betas Harley thinking was Bitas there. Harley, yeah. Yeah. I want to say. Arkham Harley from Arkham yeah. Knights. That's what it kind of looked like to me from the game. Yeah, I think so, too. And then the ones that really messed me up were, I don't know, I call them Bat Harley and Demon Harley. <laughs> yeah, but they that, that might be the best way to put it. Maybe like a man-bat version of Harley. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I've really enjoyed the art in this one. It is a lot of fun, really simple. Uh, the book is a fun little romp with promise of more fun to come going forward. I'm really enjoying it. <clears throat> and if I remember right, I think in issue 28 it's supposed to be a new direction. So that's even that's kind of confusing for me. I don't because <laughs> I'm really enjoying this direction. I don't know if I'm ready for a new one. Um, yeah, eight point seven five for this. That's, I, it I really seems like, like that's it. what the whole point of this is: is to set up a transition for Harley. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, I liked I liked where she was going though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I uh, I also dug this issue too. I will admit the the whole multiversal Harleys at the end did kind of throw me for a loop because we we started this story with, you know, it's like a murder mystery. Like, okay, who killed Harley Quinn? And now we have our answer, and now it's just gotten even crazier. And at first, I was like, uh, I don't really know. That seems a little too wild. But then, I mean, I guess this is Harley Quinn, so it kind of makes sense that they're gonna go absolutely nuts with a, a you know a murder mystery type story. Um, so. You know, I, I think it's fair enough. I'll just see how they stick the landing um, with everything. But it was fun seeing old Lady Harley at the beginning fight against the weird Frank Miller gothic one. Um, and uh, just, yeah, just seeing how, how the old Lady Harley and then the younger Harley kind of get along in their ways was really fun, too. Um, so, yeah, no, this one, solid issue. Not sure how they're going to wrap this whole thing up, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I gave it an 8 out of 10. Wait and see is about all we can do. Um, Pretty much. I can't. I, I still can't handle the Harley who laughs. Um, coincidentally, neither can young Harley. And uh, the dynamic between old and young Harley was it was fantastic. I really liked it. I want to see a little bit. I want to. I want to get introduced to a couple of these weird Harleys at the end of it, especially Mermaid Harley because of how much Harley wanted that. Um, <laughs> Where this, where is this all going to go? None of us fucking know, but it is good. It is fun. Um, only problem is, is that I only enjoyed about half of the art I seen, especially in the first few pages of the book. It was really hard for me to look at Harley's face. It, it got better as the issue went on, but uh, initially I was really thrown off. So I gave Harley Quinn number twenty-five a seven point five out of ten, and. Uh, we're going to go ahead and keep the clown theme going. I am talking about our next issue being Punchline Gotham Game, number three of six. So we are now halfway through this mini, written by Teeny Howard and Blake Howard. Uh, are they husband and wife or sister and brother? Yes. They're brothers. Yeah. Husband sister and, and wife, brother, right? Oh, they are My husband, husband and wife. And yeah. Wife? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I, I yeah. learned that actually they did a Vampire the Masquerade comic. I don't know if you guys ever played that game. Um, I, a like a couple years ago. ago. Um, and they were just like, oh yeah, husband and wife team. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You don't really see that that's too cool. often. No, you don't. 
so they were doing the writing, and Max Rayner was on the the art. Lee Guerrero on colors, lettering from Becca Carey and Vasco Yore, uh brought us that crazy cool cover, um, and it is both definitely crazy and pretty cool. So this is a quick one. Let's just get into it. While the devastation from the Ace Chemicals explosion racks most of Gotham, it looks like Onyx busted up King of the Royal Flush Gang a whole lot more than I thought over in Catwoman, because we see Professor Pig having to sew his face back together <laughs> in genuine classic Professor Pig style. He looks horrible. At Royal Flush headquarters, Jack, previously Knave, is practicing with the new hardware he has, courtesy of punchline taking his eye out before getting into a fight with bluff that bluff picks who just happens to be if you don't remember bluff just happens to be the somewhat kind of sort of but really not boyfriend of cohen Rowe, the little brother mm-hmm. of one harper Rowe, aka bluebird speaking of which bluebird happens to track down punchline starts whooping her ass and that's until punchline throws a bunch of dismembered body parts at her uh those body parts, I do believe, belong to the dead body that she was talking mad, that was talking mad smack to Punchline while she was trying to get rid of said body. And she's pretty sure it's because she's tripping out on all the chemicals she's been exposed to and has been huffing XO. Later, Bluff texts Cullen to meet, to meet up to help Cullen go look for his sister, and it's a trap. That was for my Star Wars friends out there. <laughs> Bluff grabs and holds on to Cullen while Punchline stands in front of him, holding a knife and wearing a smile. That's the book, and though I feel like I blew through it super fast when I read it, I did have a lot of fun with it. I'm seriously tired of Punchline, but this run is not bad. It's actually pretty <laughs> damn good. Um, I kind of like the idea of Teeny and Blake just handling the Narrows stories of Gotham. They've been doing great so far, and I can't wait to see what comes next. While the art isn't flawless, it is so nice to look at. I look forward to the next one, man. It's a good book. So I gave Punchline an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, this is like the the surprise winner of the the past couple months because I I think we all kind of came in with you know mid to low expectations for a punchline book after oh, yeah. they just kind of exhausted <laughs> that story in Joker and and here I am three issues in and I'm still like hooked on the story which is impressive um, I I just have to say. Uh, for, for anyone who needs surgical operations, don't ever go to Professor Pig. Like, why? I know you might be desperate, but come on. Like, you've seen the Dolatrons. You know how horrifying they look. Um, but no, in all seriousness, just really great stuff here. And I was excited to see Harper again because, I mean, they kind of set up Punchline as Harper's Joker, which I think is a really cool concept. And here yes. they're really just playing with it even more. Um, and now that, you know, Bluff and, and Punchline have... Cullen, I'm sure she's going to be, you know, tearing hell through Gotham trying to get him back. Um, but yeah, no, everything here was just really exciting and engaging as it has been for the past couple issues. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how how everything's going to ramp up. And and uh, I was also impressed at how well it tied into everything that was going on with Catwoman, which I did have a chance. I missed it the the last time you guys reviewed it, but I did have a chance to read that, and I, I enjoyed it. So it was nice to see how well it tied in here. Um, yes. But yeah, no, aside from that, really good stuff. So I gave this one an 8.25 out of 10. All right.
uh, review on Professor Pig's uh, uh, plastic surgery <laughs> laboratory is just different accounts for Professor Pig giving himself oh, five stars, except for one review, <laughs> and that's from Flamingo totally would. celebrating about the leftovers. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, I totally would. <laughs> um, honestly, with this, the, the plot thickens, maybe. I, I'm kind of unsure what's going on right now. I'm still enjoying it. It is a surprise hit for me, but things seem to be just happening, and I don't know why. It is cool to see Harper back and Cullen. I'm happy there in the story. Um, but Punchline seems to just be doing things, like a dog chasing cars, but she doesn't know what to do if she get one. For all you dark knight fans out there. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of a weird spot for me. I gave it an 8 out of 10 because I am enjoying it. It's got an interesting mm. story and good art. I just don't know what the story is yet. And we're halfway yeah. well, through you're the sort of, series. You're sort of like um, one of her henchmen, 1-0, who's like, what's the game? And I think yeah. maybe one thing we might see is that maybe Punchline doesn't even know what the game is. She's just sort of acting like she does, which I think could also be kind of an interesting revelation that maybe she's not as clever as she projects herself as. Oh, maybe. Or, or that, she's that feels not like as cop out. <laughs> as she yeah. thinks she is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too, definitely, which I, I think mean, is, she, is also She was literally true. hearing the Joker's voice in a dead body. Mm-hmm. I, I think she might be pretty freaky crazy. <laughs> or she was dripping balls. I mean, there's yeah, only one that way is to true. That's true. <laughs> she was huffing a lot of XO. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's me. Well, speaking of odd sidekicks that uh, were a sidekick, then weren't a sidekick, and then might become a sidekick again, we're going to take a look at the, uh, I won't describe it, in other than saying that it is the next book we're going to review. Brandon's going to tell us all about Tim Drake, Robin number four. Uh, that I am, and uh, to be honest, I don't know that there's that much to tell, but I will do my best. Uh, this is... Tim Drake, Robin, number four, the sidekick that may not be a sidekick, uh, as Josh said, written by Megan Fitzmartin with art from Riley Rosmo, colors from Lee Lowridge, and letters from Tom Napolitano. Um, Not too much to say. Tim is still investigating the mystery of the deerstalker cap that he got as a mysterious present in the previous issue, and he's trying to figure out more about that. Comes to a certain revelation about it, and um, you know, does some more investigation on these these connections to the detective stories the past ends up teaming with the batgirls uh, and they find their way to a mysterious um room somewhere um and then ultimately end up fighting one of the strange projections that the uh the villain who's obsessed with these mysteries has been having this time fighting a goldfish from one of the raymond chandler stories goldfish um uh, before having to deal with that in a rather disgusting way. Uh, and then, ultimately, the revelation of who the villain actually is, which we don't get a name just yet, but all that he says um, is that he will be the best villain that Gotham has ever seen and will be the most worthy opponent that Robin could ever face. So I guess we'll see how that all plays out. Um, story-wise, it's... It is it is perfectly serviceable. The first issue was, uh, I I think we've already talked about that to death. Um, the second one was better. So at the very least, I can say that the story was improving. But it's not it's not getting anywhere. It's more just like spinning wheels, with a mystery that is really not that compelling. Um, which is a shame because mysteries should be really exciting, really engaging stories. But here it's just kind of like okay, great. 
I know you're there now. Cool. Can we can we move on? Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of how I'm feeling. Um, the art from Riley Rasmo has its moments for me at least, um, where some of them look pretty decent, and then some of them look like Tim has a pair for a head, um, which is just a little odd. So it, it's inconsistent. Um, though I, I do actually really like the way that he renders the Batgirls. It, it almost makes me wish he'd do an issue of Batgirl, which I know would make Josh's head spin. Um, but aside from that, I, yeah, aside from that, it's, it's okay. It's perfectly okay. It just doesn't really offer anything, I don't know, gripping or anything that I'm really attached to. So I gave this one a seven out of 10. All right. How about you, Rob? Yes. It's, so we finally have a villain, but they seem as cookie cutter as the rest. I, I don't. Yeah. It's not an exciting character to really reveal on. And the story has kind of just been dragging. They spent four issues and a one-shot talking about these, this mystery revolving around mystery stories. And it's taken Tim Drake so long to figure stuff out. And everyone else has figured it out before him. And he's just kind of jumped on their bandwagon. For someone who's supposed to be the real world's greatest detective, as much as Wally is the real world's fastest man alive... It feels like a bit of a cop-out for the character. But again, that might just be me. I don't know. I, I'm not really enjoying this still. I hope the next story arc is a lot better. I'll see where it goes. Uh, 6.5 out of 10 for now. Hmm. Alright. Uh, yeah. First, um, Rosmo should never draw the Batgirls. Second, I cannot believe... <laughs> I uh, My buddy's over at Weird Science Comics... Uh, podcast review eric over there he actually chose tim drake number three as his book of the week last month when that came out oh my god that's insane so quick rant and then i'm just gonna go off here they show tim using his superior detective skills to solve a mystery that could only be invented for him it feels like super lazy writing there's no mystery or real detective story everything falls into place always right at the right time soon as he runs into it a whole bunch of focus is still on bernard and this version of bernard blows this new both versions of bernard blow but this one blows even more you haven't seen titans you don't oh know. oh i keep for, i thought you were talking about the the oh, old the one old from one? the robin oh, run yeah uh-uh. the, we know ashton versions of bernard blows who knows yes <laughs> So we have a new invented arch nemesis for Tim. Cool, but this might be the dumbest intro to a villain that I have seen in a very long time. What makes a good villain? Having an enemy, a cool costume, and a cool name. Well, they don't give us the name, and it's way too early to call him an arch nemesis, especially considering yeah. how this will all likely be wrapped up in a pretty little bow for no reason like all the other Tim Drake stuff that we've gotten in recent history. Oh, oh, and he pulls all of the clues that he gets this issue out of his books, but specifically books that he does not have, but knows every word and every letter by memory, so he can spit out what the 72nd word is on the 300th page. So, I... Tim Drake, who knew he had a superpower, reading books that he, he has eidetic memory, I guess. Although I don't remember him ever having that before. I know Barbara no, had eidetic memory, yeah, but that's Barbara, not Tim. Um, so you add all of that to the fact that this is Rosmo's 
best work and it still makes me look it still makes me sick to look at it i mean we're all huge tim fans but this i is this a limited series because they said ongoing but i don't see it lasting I, past 10 yeah I, could, I don't know how much more of this shit i could take rosmo should draw children's books and Fitz, fitzgerald should write uh travel brochures the whole thing is bullshit. Ricardo Lopez Ortiz did a fantastic cover for this book, which is what brought the score all the way up to 1.5 out of 10. Jeez, that's abysmally low. And so is the book. <laughs> oh my god. The, the, the funny thing is that ending where he's like monologuing about, you know, being the perfect villain. It reminded me of the opening to Batman R.I.P. where they're chasing this random like no nobody who's like oh i want to be the perfect villain and you gotta have a costume and cool stuff and that was literally played for a joke because the guy's a tool but here they're trying to play it as like so dramatic and it just made me laugh mm -hmm. and that's about all it's worth if you can stand looking at it is for a laugh to see how bad comic books can get <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, well, um, normally we wait a little while for the commercial break until after the spotlight, but we do only have four more books to review, I believe. So we're going to go ahead and take that commercial break right now, and we will be back in just a minute. We are back. Thanks for sticking around. I know you had to listen to me more on this podcast and then again on the commercial. I apologize for that. And let me make it up to you by covering the next four books. I'm going to start off the spotlight round, which is where we are at right now, with a book and characters that we have not seen in a very long time. Sandman Universe presents The Dead Boy Detectives number one. Dear sir, or ma'am, I am going to fuck your name up and I apologize, but I believe it is written by Pornshock Pinchechote. I believe that's yes, how you say it. Yes, porn sack piece of show. That that is uh, yeah. Trust me. So I, I th that one the first time I saw it because he did a book called The Good Asian. Um, and I I, I saw that name and I was like, oh my god, no, <laughs> I'm gonna butcher this so bad. Um, but thankfully he's he's very like good about it. Uh, when he does interviews and stuff. So yeah, it's it's porn sack piece of show. All right, I wasn't too far off. That's cool. No, you were you're pretty spot on. All right, well, that's who it was written by, and art came from Jeff Stokely, colors from Miguel Muerto, which, let's be honest, perfect last name for working on this book, and lettering came from Hassan Atzmane Alhao, with the cover, a really, really good one by somebody that's new to me, Nimit Malabat, Malavia, excuse me, or Malavia, depending on where they're from. In any case, so Sandman Universe isn't something that we usually cover, but I used to love these characters. They're great characters, and it's a number one, so deal with it. Uh, the stars of this book are, of course, Edwin Payne and Charles Rowland, two young boys who love to solve mysteries and just so happen to be dead. The book itself starts out with a little bit of gore that Rob absolutely loved before, getting introdu before introducing our titular characters. A brief history of what happened from Edwin. He was killed by some boys at the school that were trying to summon demons. Years later, he comes back. So do the boys. And he gets to watch them do the exact same thing to Charles. Now we're back in the present, and the boys are on their way to a mystery 
and their client, Jay or Jai Syracool. And what is funny is that they were hired by Jai's younger neighbor who pays the detectives, who keep in mind they are very old and unaware. They get, the little boy pays them with a rare foil magic trading card. They don't know what it is, but they assume it's worth something. So off they go. They find the client and her friends, who also just happen to be ghosts, from Thai culture, which has hundreds of different kinds of ghosts, not just the one that Western culture technically believes in. The mystery. So, as it is explained to us in the book, if a Thai dies in the Western culture areas, they should only appear as a Western culture ghost. But they aren't doing that, and there are loads of them showing up all over Los Angeles. After all of this is revealed, we find out that Thai ghosts disappear at dawn because they're only nocturnal, and they can feel pain because they're completely corporeal. We also find out that Dom, the ghost doctor, taking care of some Thai ghosts and investigating the rest of the occurrences, lies to Edwin about something we don't know yet. Edwin leaves and then comes immediately back to say something and stumbles upon a decapitated Don just attacked by the gory monster we saw at the start of this issue. Also, it looks like the main baddie here is going to be a 3,000-year-old witch named Thessaly. This book is everything that I hoped it would be, and I will be reading every issue as long as it keeps it up. Uh, the art is freaking great. The story is set up very well, and I just had one hell of a time. Maybe this is me fanboning. Boing, fanboning? That is not an open <laughs> Fanboning. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is me just being a huge fan of some characters I haven't seen in a long time. I'm just going to avoid that word now. Um, and uh, the lettering in this, uh, I know I don't usually compliment that, but it is fantastic and very easy to read. Thank you so much for that. I loved this book, and I gave it an 8.75 out of 10. Nice. Yeah, no, there's no problem with fan boning. Just make sure you do it, you know, in your own home. Um, uh, but that being said, no, I, I also had a, you know, I also had a great time with this book. I think one of the nice things about some of the the Sandman universe books is that, um, you know, a lot of them are, are uh, reviving some of the old properties from the original Sandman stuff, but they're also, you know, fresh starts. So you can kind of come in without knowing too much, which if you're someone like me, whose biggest and, and often most critical blind spot, at least critical, others are critical, uh, is the Sandman universe. I've just, I, I never really got into that world as much as so many people have told me to, but these books have been nice, um, in that they're, they're pretty clean introductions, um, and they're, you know, don't require a lot of, like, previous knowledge, so I could just kind of enjoy this for what it was, um, which was a surprisingly darker book than I expected, although I guess with a title like Dead Boy Detectives, I probably should have expected some, you know, grim stuff in there, um, but that being said, no, really good, um, really just kind of, I guess thrilling start um, to this whole mystery, and I'm I, I I'm wondering what kind of other stuff they're going to bring into it, other kind of um, mythological stuff they might bring into it. But I, I guess we'll have to see. Um, but yeah, no, I, I also enjoyed this one as well, and I give this an eight out of ten. Oh yeah, and Rob, am I right in assuming that you did not get past the first page? <laughs> Am I correct? Because my stomach's been a bit 
finicky all week with oh, nausea. Yeah. Uh, normally, gore is fine for me, but that first page made me a little too queasy for comfort, so I really oh, couldn't get past yeah. it. Uh, it really wasn't that bad, but the, it's just the, this week. Yeah, yeah, the gore in that very small panel down at the bottom of the front page is uh, it's good that you stopped there because if you would have flipped the page, there was one more large panel of something. <laughs> it was even worse. Awesome. Oh, so, oh, I did because I rushed past the first page and I jumped right to the oh, second man. and I instantly oh, closed yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for the record, the rest of the book stays very clean until the end where Dom gets the cap. That's good. Yeah. Right? I'll just jump that, to the third page. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. So I'm assuming we're going to go with a nada out of 10 for you. For now, I'll give it a cough cough out of 10. <laughs> I'll give it a please don't make me sick out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, a cough cough out of 10. What a stellar yeah. review, Rob. And speaking of stellar, I am going to go ahead and have you take us to space. Deep space. Where plenty of lanterns have gone before. John Stewart, the Emerald Knight number one. Tell us all about it, Rob. Assist, I guess. Uh, yes, this is John Stewart, the Emerald Knight number one. The long-awaited one-shot follow-up to Jeffrey Thorne's 12-issue series from last year. And as stated, this is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art from Marco Santucci, colors from Michael Atier, letters from Rob Lee, and I believe a very gorgeous cover from Mateus Manhanini. So, bear with me, this is going to be a little long and troublesome considering my cough. John brings his fellow lanterns in the Dark Sector up against Isak. Across all the planets he is trying to take, by sharing his power, John creates orbs for each lantern to hold, granting them limited capabilities such as flight and force fields. After failing to protect a planet from destruction, except for a small city aboard, Lonar arrives to give a bit more info. Great timing, Lonar. Isak's plan involves taking the life energy from the Dark Sector to recreate the new gods into their original forms, as he does not like the evolution each god has taken. In addition, it is revealed where all these planets came from. Hypertime. They are copies of planets that already exist, or don't anymore, from alternate universe branches. And upon planning the next mission, John's power is being spread too thin, so he uses his power to fashion eight energy swords to bring specific lanterns with him. These swords offer more power and abilities, but will not sap as much of his power. Together, they go to the next planet, being attacked by Isak, but it's not one John ever would have suspected. It's Zanshi. The lanterns fly in hard and fast, with John going straight for Isak, but he is ultimately captured, so Isak can siphon his power away, except he is not at full power, not because of the swords, but because he is split into two different Johns, thanks to Hypertime, I think. There are now John, two John Stewarts, and together they trick Isak into taking a godly evolution, preventing him from killing again. At the end, one John takes the lanterns back to the core, and the other John stays behind in the Dark Sector to help liberate the rest of the planets. And when John is done, in the Dark Sector, he will look for his wife Katmatui. And as Lonar says, end chapter one. So, uh, okay, I'll, I'll read my notes in reverse order, because <laughs> I, I, I kind of just went off. Uh, ultimately, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. Uh, I'm curious if we will ever see this Emerald Knight again, or just simply follow Green Lantern John going forward. 
Also, that being said, which one ended up in Dark Crisis? I assume the one that went back to Oa. Are they even? I don't even remember if they're on Oa anymore or if they're on Mogo. Mm-hmm. I don't that think they're on is... either. Yeah, well, I, I remember from the the Justice League seventy five issue that it said, you know, in the panel where he gets sapped away that he was like in Oa orbit. So I assume that's the one. Okay. Okay, so that's probably it. Um, uh-huh. Hypertime kind of explained in such a way makes it feel much smaller than it has, and I feel like that's not really it, because it feels way too easy. Um, and Zanshi and Kat Matui, I, I think, is a horrible... Oh, no, hang on. I kind of just started this mid, mid-thought. <laughs> I wrote this down mid-thought, and I don't know where we're going with it. Um, yeah, John going to find his wife, Kat Matui, I think is a horrible idea, because if she was a GL in this alternate universe, then she's not necessarily on the planet, and if she wasn't the GL, then she has no clue who he is, and it's going to end badly. Like, I get it, go for it, as long as John knows and understands the history they shared is still gone, and it's going to be a very difficult road. And there's a good chance she might not even accept him. Yeah, right, so. or have like a completely different, you know, romantic life, or even a completely different personality. Yeah, like it's there's the the possibilities are endless. Like, by all means, go for it, but it seems like a very risky idea. And if it's mm-hmm. if we ever see it happen again, and it ends up being simple, I'm gonna call bullshit. But that's just yeah. me, as I keep saying. Uh, I kind of enjoyed the art. Uh, there was a lot of cool sequences, but a lot of it was confusing. So I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, like I said, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it either. It, it was kind of just there. And mm-hmm. I don't think I understood yeah. half of it. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. yeah no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you, where I, I, I think there are like kernels of interesting ideas, but I don't know. I mean, Lord knows we've seen the idea of having two characters exist simultaneously despite how different they may be or how similar they may be played out in, in other stories and it always kind of ends up being messy so I'm not I'm not thrilled about the idea here especially given they're going to have a John-centric book or alongside a Hal-centric book um, next year um, which I think will be yeah, I hope it will be good um, but yeah, I don't know because I assume that's going to follow you know the the John that returned, not the Emerald Knight who's out there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I think there, like I said, there's like kernels of interesting ideas, but ultimately it just kind of wasn't all that well put together, like a lot of the rest of the run. Um, so yeah, uh, the art was good though. I, I will give it that. Um, it had some, some really nice looking moments, but aside from that, uh, yeah, I don't know. And they still did not explain how a lot of the core were just back to the way that they were um, in Dark Crisis. I guess we'll just never know. I, I really think they were kind of just like, yeah, we don't really care about what happened to this Green Lantern run. We just want things back to normal. Um, so we're just going to wipe all that away for Dark Crisis, which, hey, so be it. Um, but yeah, no, this was not that great, honestly. Uh, so right. I gave this one a 6.75 out of 10. I, I got to ask you guys questions because I feel like I picked up a totally different thing than y'all did. I was under the impression that the Emerald Knight was from 
our universe, from the main DC universe. The Lanterns all lost their powers. John ascended, yeah. got the God power, shared that with mm-hmm. all the people. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, are, are, which one stayed behind then? Because I'm under the impression that we... <laughs> that we retained the Emerald Knights. So I, I'm, I'm differentiating it by the, the costume they wear because there's one that doesn't wear sleeves. And the one that doesn't wear sleeves is the one from our universe. And he's yeah. the one that stayed behind. The one with sleeves went back to Oa. But I'm assuming... And this is where it got confusing for me because I think he's from Hypertime. I think that's how they explain it, but I'm not entirely sure... But they also mentioned how John's power was split between the two of them, I think. So it made me feel yeah, like no, he's, he's just a he's copy. Split. He's split. Yeah. The, they're not copies. They got pulled in from the hyper... They got pulled in from another multiverse through hypertime. That's the way that I read it. Oh, the planets, now, yeah. So, yeah. So we've got a whole... We've got, we've got brand new John, and we've got his lanterns, and then we've got Emerald Knight John and his orb guys. Yeah. And we kept the Emerald Knight and the rest of them are gone, yes? Oh, the rest of them went back to Oa. Yeah. Our so there's Oa two Johns out in the universe. Our right now. no, it had to be our Oa cuz that John yeah. was pulled into Justice League 75. Yeah. So there's just there's two Johns in our universe right now. One Yeah. In, uh the 32 3600 sectors and one in the dark sectors yeah right. that's that's well, I, what i got <laughs> from it um see the way that i read it was that uh, i th- i thought that the that the lanterns including lantern john went back to where they came from and i thought that our john just stayed on that oa which was in our universe to be with his wife that's, oh, that's it's, it's still I, all this universe. It's just a yes. different part of this universe. Gotcha. Exactly. Um, well, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read my opinion of it the way that I interpreted it, and I guess maybe hopefully we'll find out which one of us is right. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of confusion um, the way that I read it, but there were a couple of questions that I did have. Uh, Ken's calls someone a bastiche, and I could have sworn that that was just a Zarian word. Um, I only remember hearing Lobo use it. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Um, and was that Ken's that said end chapter one in the last panel? Or was that Lonar? That was Ooh, Lonar. I don't even remember. Alright. I thought it... I couldn't tell if it was Lonar or Ken's, because all you can see is the mouth. Um, I thought it was pretty good wrap-up for what I thought was a very underwhelming long ass story in the making um i did enjoy the wrap up for from it uh regardless that core went from lantern rings to john swords and i think it kind of works for me is i i i'm under the impression i was under the impression that those are the lanterns that we're going to have that we no longer really have green lanterns we've got uh orb dudes not sure that's the way I took it. You guys are probably right. 
but uh, there is still a whole bunch to unpack here, and I'm 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 hoping that we get a lot more answers in the upcoming John Wick. I did like it. Oops, there went the phone. I did like it um, for what I interpreted it to be, and I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Like I said, the whole thing's just bloody confusing, though, so yeah, who knows what's really going on? And honestly, who knows <laughs> if it's even going to have a follow-up? Because the future is, is so yeah, I don't know. confusing. Like, we're getting a mm. Green Lantern John Stewart series next year, but from Philip Kennedy Johnson. Yeah, is he gonna follow the same story, or is he gonna write a new one? Who knows? Like my <laughs> my guess would be it's just gonna follow John, like the the regular John, the one who went back, but not the Emerald Knight. So, for all we know, the Emerald Knight will just be out there searching for Cat Matui forever, and we'll yeah. never know what happened to him. Well, that's until just the next crisis. Dumb. Yeah, until the next crisis. Well. Uh, I guess that the one thing that we can all agree on about the Emerald Knight is that it is definitely a mystery. And speaking of mysteries, let's go to the whole home of them in DC Comics with Detective Comics number 1067. Brandon, take it away. Uh, my pleasure. And yes, what a mystery it is. Although this mystery is really starting to unfold uh, into to something a lot more clear uh, at least in this issue uh, but this was detective comics 1067 as you said written by rom v with art from ivan race inks from danny miki colors from dave stewart and letters from ariana mar uh, this is another one that i have to do on the fly um but uh bear with me um batman breaks free from the ice trap that freeze had left him in in the last issue thanks to the thermal device that's in his belt or whatever it is and is able to fall into the stream uh, that's under Gotham sewers um, before he turns up in one of the clearer parts of the sewer and is dragged off by a unsuspecting Mr. Freeze uh, at the site of Arkham Asylum. Ars and Arkham is talking about greatness and the plans that he wants to bring to Gotham. Uh, and as a token of good faith um, and a token of the greatness that he plans to bring, he is going to start construction on Orgham Place, will be on the site of Gotham City. Uh, but in reality, this is all a ruse because they have bigger plans, as we saw in the Detective Comics annual um, from last month, using the reality engine that was under the chapel, which they are going to uh, use to bring Gotham back to what the Orgums had originally intended. Um, meanwhile, in uh, Mr. Freeze's Ice Kingdom, as he calls it, or his Kingdom of Cold, um, is basically filling Batman in on why he saved his life and how things have changed and is sort of giving Batman the same speech that he's been getting a lot lately which is that Gotham is changing and you have to wonder if whatever it changes into is going to accept the the version of Batman that he is right now or if it's time to become something new which I think is is fitting for this story it's all about metamorphosis and evolving um Arzen uh, Arkham Arzen Arkham Arzen Orgum um, is is ready to exact his plans and has uh, dispatched all of his his followers on their own various missions. Uh, Shavad is meeting with some of the investors uh, at Gotham uh, at, or at Wayne Enterprises and and all that stuff, and they're talking about what they want to do with the Narrows. And they're a bit hesitant because the Narrows, despite being a kind of crime ridden area, is important uh, uh, 
you know, an important social area for the Wayne uh, Enterprises crew, but uh, Shavad, using some mysterious mask, is able to talk them out of uh, whatever plans they had and make sure that the Narrows end up in the hands of the Orkham family. Uh, meanwhile, Arzen over to Bruce's apartment, his brownstone in Gotham City, and talks to him about some of the stuff that he would like to do for the city, given how similar they are, that they both, both lost family members and both have been shaped by tragedy. But uh, just as they're getting down to discussing what they might actually do with all their power and wealth to change the city, they find out that the city is run amok, and specifically the Narrows are under intense fire right now in Batman uh, has to leap to the scene, but uh, as he goes, he gives uh, uh, Arzen an answer to the question of what exactly he would do um, with his wealth, and that's to try and build people up from the shadows that they might have the hope to continue. Um, and in our backup story, uh, Two-Face continues to struggle with his uh, own stuff, his, his own mental stuff, but he finally achieves a kind of peace with the, the Two-Face persona, or if you remember from BTAS, the, the big bad Harv persona. I just recently <laughs> rewatched that Two-Face episode, so it's, it's still in my mind. Um, and sort of learns to embrace him a little bit more. Um, and in doing so, is able to spare the life of the doctor who helped him, Dr. Mead, while also uh, keeping the... Um, uh, oh my god, I'm forgetting the name. Oh, keeping the asthma that's kept within his brain right now quiet and keeping that music uh, quiet as well. Um, so it seems like Harvey is slowly working towards a kind of a piece right now. Um, but this issue is is just keeping the mystery going. Although, as I said, we're finding out a little bit more you know, about, about what the Orgums are really planning for the city, and I'm just absolutely in love with it. Um, and I really loved, it wasn't, you know, we didn't get too much time on it, but I love the, the parallels that they were drawing between Arzen and Bruce, given they're both kind of shaped by tragedy, but they're both trying to, you know, exact their vision on Gotham City, and it's really a contest of whose vision will determine the, the shape of the city. And it looks like the Orgums might have the upper hand at the moment, but if we know Batman, we know he'll, he'll pull through in the end. But I, I love that, the brief, you know, kind of... Uh, uh, comparisons that we had towards the towards the end of the issue where they're talking to each other at Bruce's brownstone so I'm still like just hooked into this and just in awe of how good detective comics has been so far um and I just can't wait to see what kind of crescendo the story is going to have um and I'm hoping that Rob is is kind of settling in for a decent run of detective I've heard rumblings that maybe this run won't be that long and I really hope that's not true because I haven't been this invested in detective in a while um, but uh, I guess as we've been saying so far we'll, we'll have to wait and see so this one got a 9 out of 10 for me I'm just I'm so plugged into this book right now it's funny how you're mentioning the uh, the parallels between the tragedy that shaped Orgum and Wayne because mm -hmm. I feel like we're actually getting that twofold. We're seeing Bruce's counterpart in Organ. And as it was pointed out, Mr. Freeze is kind of a parallel with Batman as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they call like Gotham City Bruce's Nora, which is like, oh my god, that's so juicy. Um, yeah. So there's some there's a lot of parallels going on and I dig it. Ram V's Ram V's detective just keeps getting better. While the beginning of this run was a little difficult for some to get into, all of it has led to this place where I feel like it's it's really pushing a damn good detective story. 
Uh, most of the mm-hmm. art is fucking fantastic. There were some faces I didn't like, but mostly minor stuff. Um, again, I really dug the parallels that we saw. That's the first part of the issue with the backup. Holy Christ. Uh, man, Spurrier has me going, what? And then, what now? And then, god damn it. And then, <laughs> oh man, give me the next issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> the art is, I'm, I'm so invested in this internal struggle between Harvey Dent and and Two-Face. And um, it, it the way that it progressed in this issue was just fantastic. Um, though I, I, I don't get into backups, man, but this this has me excited. And I, I don't say that about books anymore. Mm. Uh, Detective Comics 1067, front and back, total 9 out of 10. issue beautiful art throughout even in the backup a very interesting chapter cool to see a lot of things happening right now uh some more of the plans are coming through for the orgums but like you said josh it is a true detective story because we don't know what's going on and neither does batman he's got to figure it out fast but every chance he gets he gets a little bit more fucked up uh and flying into fire does not seem to be a good option (laughs) Which, speaking in no. parallels, considering he was frozen at the end of the last issue, and now he's flying into fire, it's it's a little interesting how that's laid out. Um, mm-hmm. Mr. Freeze showing respect and assistance, I think, is a good light on him. He doesn't need to be a hero. He just wants to be left alone. Him just being there, um, I think, is, is, is a good way for the character. Because I never really saw him as a villain, to be honest with you. He was only ever mm-hmm. out there to help his wife, and now his wife doesn't want him anymore. So, what's his reason for being? You know, he's got to figure that out yeah. if he even has one. So, I, I think this is a this is an interesting way to place him. I'm so here for this book. Eight point seven five out of ten. Yeah, I feel like we need a really good freeze story after this, given where his mind is at right now. That is not a one bad day story. Yes, that is not a one bad day story. <laughs> Please, um, I would. Yeah, I would love to see a current Mister Freeze story too. I really would. Um, I would like to see something with a lot of thought, a lot of uh, a lot of internal dialogue, and I know that sounds sounds weird for me to say. Um, I want a lot of emotion, and there needs mm-hmm. to be a lot of action in it too. And speaking of action, we are on our last book, the one everybody wants to hear about this week, Action Comics number 1050. Rob, you want to tell us about that? Uh, sure. I was going to say gladly, but <laughs> I do. I do. It's just hard. Uh, all right, so this is Action 1050, <laughs> the long-awaited anniversary issue uh, supposed to be a lot of new changes coming forth as it says on the cover a new era rises uh, so this is written by Mrs. Philip Kennedy Johnson Tom Taylor and Joshua Williamson with art from Mike Perkins Clayton Henry and Nick Dragota with colors from Frank Martin throughout letters from Dave Sharp throughout and a cover beautiful cover from Steve Beach I think this one also had a flurry of covers too, didn't it? Something was this one yeah. of the ones that had like twenty six mm-hmm. covers, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. yeah, 
All right, simply put to start, uh, Lex has captured Manchester Black. Sorry, I will go through this as simply as I can. Uh, and is threatening to kill him. Uh, not so much threatening, more as uh, promising. Because while Manchester Black is kind of betraying Lex, Lex kind of betrayed Manchester Black too. By having him hooked up to a machine, he's going to siphon the now super-powered brain of his uh, instead of just regular-powered. Now it's super-powered because apparently he got a boost of juice over on War World. Uh, and he siphons it out of his brain into a machine which sends a purple shockwave throughout the planet uh, which hits oh, everywhere cool. except the Ken Farm because it's protected by a shield thanks to the Justice League as Superman and, Lo uh, Superman and John are on uh, a mission in India to break, uh, stop a dam from breaking. Um, uh, Perry shows up at the Kent farm, and as Superman and or Clark and John show up as the two supermen, Perry looks a little concerned and confused. And as Clark walks up to him in Superman costume, uh, Perry gets really confused. And Perry is unsure why everyone is calling Superman Clark. And as Superman calls himself Clark, Perry has a stroke and passes out. They rush him to a hospital, and then they find out that... Um, no, they don't find out there, sorry. Oh, I'm so out of it right now. <laughs> um, that <laughs> They find out that he had the stroke. And, and But then Clark gets uh, a very loud signal watch signal, and he flies off towards LexCorp, where none other than Lex himself has fashioned himself a signal watch, but upped the ante and made it really, really powerful to the point that it messes with Clark's hearing. And then Lex reveals that everything is because of him, and nobody remembers his identity, and... Lex is going to be the better Superman. And as Lex reveals... Oh, I think I passed it. There we go. Um, he did block uh, Clark's secret identity from everyone except his son and his wife, as far as he knows. He lets... <laughs> he said, you're lucky I let you keep the marriage, you know. Which I thought was such a great dig at Marvel. For one yeah, more day. seriously. That was brilliant. Wait, yeah, but then he says here. the Wait, boy is questionable. Here. Uh, what do you What do you guys mean for for a, for a non Marvel reader? What's for, that? For oh, Spider Man, the, one more yeah, day. Yeah, the Spider Man thing. Oh, where okay. Yeah. His identity was also wiped. Yeah. Okay. And they took his marriage. Sorry. Completely forgot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then Lex says the boy is questionable, which enrages Clark and uh, uppercuts him straight into, well, I guess downtown Metropolis, uh, where they have a brief fight. Uh, Lex throws a car at him, Clark catches it, flies right behind him, and then uppercuts him into the upper atmosphere. They fly up to the moon, and they have a little uh, powwow about what's going on. Lex is monologuing about how they were in Smallville together, and all he ever did was lie. But Clark assures he never lied. Uh, Lex gets the upper hand in their fight, but then Clark's... Whew. 
Lex is still getting <laughs> upper hand. Sorry. Start to sweat. Oh, gotta take a little slower. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, Lex is getting the upper hand. Um, but then Lex reveals that he killed Manchester Black, which enrages Clark even further. And now he gets the upper hand and just absolutely destroys Lex. Even when Lex sends him away with some weird purple ball. Clark just comes flying back, revealing that his powers have changed. He's a lot stronger than he ever had been. And concepts like weight, distance, temperature, and even space-time have largely lost their meaning. And in moments, he can cross distances that cease to be. And But just by touching Lex's new armor, it falls to pieces, leaving only the dome protecting his head. As they are in space, Clark still does not want to kill anyone. Now that Lex is pretty much done takes him to prison and Clark meets up with Batman and Nightwing to figure out what's going on at home and as Batman reveals it was a planet-wide telepathic attack everyone except for the Justice League the Reservists and the Titans because they all have psychic defenses set up by Martian Manhunter as well as people inside the Kent farm which were his parents Jay and Lois because they were protected by the shield everyone else now forgot that he is Clark Kent Despite the fact that there is multiple articles and newsreels talking about the fact that he is Clark and John is John, but that still kind of doesn't matter. The psychic effect is that strong that the brains just refuse to accept that's what it's telling them. They do decide that maybe Clark can adjust to this. They can go about their normal lives. Uh, John is actually a little happy about this. He does not need to be a celebrity anymore. He can kind of just go incognito despite the fact that he just walked around without his glasses on, but that's neither here nor there. And then we see Lex in prison in Strikers Island Penitentiary, locked in a bubble for a time unknown, to be continued in Superman number one. Elsewhere in the multiverse, we see a Kal-El Superman murdered and being looked over by none other than Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2, who says we need uh, not another Kal-El to stop this, but we need John Kent to help. And that's to be continued in The Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one. And in Metropolis, <clears throat> John Corbin is being awoken yet again uh, from a scientist and a hologram of Lex Luthor, but he can now feel things. He can feel his hands and he can smell things. He has a human body again, but also still a kryptonite heart, as he will still be a weapon against Superman. And that's to be continued in Action Comics as Dawn of DC begins next month. Oh, sorry that sucks so well. Uh, so fairly <laughs> simple fight between Clark and Lex, I think, which harkens back to the old Silver Age tales. I really liked it. Uh, I mentioned it was a nice dig mm-hmm. of Marvel. I really enjoyed that fight between Clark and Lex. I thought it was really, really cool, uh, the way they went back and forth like that and all the the uh, monologuing they did back and forth about their relationship. Lots of cool teases for the future. I cannot wait to see Valzad again. I'm one of the three people on the planet that loved New 52's Earth 2. Um, so I'm all for that. Uh, I, I gave this issue an 8.75 out of 10. It was brilliant art throughout. The story was fantastic. I really liked it. I liked yeah, really, it. really great. Mm-hmm. I liked Alan Scott <laughs> and then the Power Girl Huntress team up, but that was pretty much it. Yeah, it, it had some moments, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hear it got better towards the end, but I I can't really say. Kind of, I didn't follow it that much, but um, yeah, no, this was. I mean, 
Yeah. Um, no, I pretty much echo everything that you said, um, Rob. It's I, I don't know. There's something kind of nostalgic about a, a classic Superman Lex beat em up. Even though you know we've seen that a million times, definitely been done to death. But it's been so long. It's it almost it almost yeah it almost feels nostalgic in a way. Um, and that was really the core of the issue. I think that conflict between Lex and uh, and Superman now that things have really changed with their identities and it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out given that um you know anyone who finds out his identity will seemingly die or into a critical state so it's it's going to make them have to be really protective about how they do things but um i think for me just seeing how much superman's power set has been elevated which i know some people are going to say oh well it's just going to make him super invincible or like a god or anything but the solution to an elevated power set is just have elevated villains or villains who are more clever, which I think with the new Kryptonite Man is going to be the case. Or not Kryptonite Man. Um, wait. No, Kryptonite Man, right? Yeah. Or Metallo. Oh, my God. Metallo. Wait, no. What? Yeah. Um, I, I apologize. Uh, I, I mixed up my Kryptonite villains. But in any case, no, I think it, it was nice to see just how much his power set has changed. He has truly become a Superman, if you can uh, pardon the pun. Um but no, it's got some ex yeah there you go oh thank you i'll be here all week um it's got some some really exciting setup for the future um and uh i want to want to see how it goes moving from there i mean i know we've got some mixed opinions on the new superman title and who's going to be the creative team on that book but i'm i'm optimistic i'm looking forward to it so i gave this one an 8.75 out of 10 all right i've I, you guys have pretty much hit on a whole bunch of stuff, so there's just some stuff in the issue that I'm going to point out and maybe have a little bit of a discussion prompt for. Uh, did not see M uh, Manchester Black dying. Um, I was assuming we were going to see a hero or like an anti-hero kind of role mm -hmm. for him, and nope. Uh, did you guys notice that Lex Luthor has the Mona Lisa hanging in his office? Of course. And he has a portrait of himself nine times bigger right next to it. I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Uh, I also noted that when Lex assembles the suit, he's not putting on that super suit that he that he made that is supposed to be even stronger than Superman. He puts on his old power suit. That made me go, huh? Um, also making me go, huh, is the fact that on, you know, like Brandon said, I am one of those people that are going to say, so Superman's power set is now godlike. Um, while, sure, you can scale Put up him on an even I mean, par to fight Goku, and it's just not going to happen. Stop trying. <laughs> God. <laughs> not that old bad again. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> he would win. But in any case, uh, the, the whole godlike thing, yeah, you can scale up your villains, and then you got to scale up your heroes, and then you scale up your villains. And we've seen that before, and it never ends good. I mean, Superman, well, who, who what was, ah, uh, shit. I don't know. I think All-Star Superman, widely regarded as one of the best Superman stories of all time, did a pretty good job of that, where Superman literally has the powers of, well, not a god, but damn near close um, in that first issue, and then seemingly has to juggle with threats that require him to use his mind as well as his strength in strange and varying ways, but still clever enough. And I think if they can pull that off in All-Star, I'm fairly certain they can pull it off here, especially given that uh, our, our dear friend PKJ has been taking notes from, from Mr. Morrison as well. So Yeah, for 
I have I have faith in it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, you know, I can't I can't look at this issue and 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 have my opinion on this with what I think is going to come. So I'm just gonna just gonna go by this. Um, so everyone has forgotten Clark Clark and John's identity, and I I I feel like that whole thing is just really dumb. I thought it was really dumb to have Clark's identity revealed. Bendis made a huge mistake with that, but I think this was kind of a with them being with them being all over social media and all over the news and everything. The simple explanation is that people just won't believe it and they'll forget about it after they see it. I mean, I guess because comics, but that felt weak, man. And uh, as far as the art goes, uh, it starts out super good. Then we get to Smallville and the quality lessons. Then we get to the hospital, and it looks like Raleigh Rosmo and Howard Porter had a baby, and that baby is not cute. Um, it goes to Gotham, and then it, and then after that, it sucks again. Um, so that is where I'm at with the first part of it. The epilogue, uh, a Kal-El killer that only John can help out with. I guess we know where he's going and how there's only going to be one Superman on Earth. Uh, I don't understand what giving uh, Metallo back his skin and sense of smell is going to do as far as superpowering him up to take on Superman now, but eh. Um, the art was iffy from here. Honestly, if I, if I wanted to love this book, I went in expecting a near 10. Uh, the first story, really good with the exception of the clumsy explanation of the identity deals. It was, it was pretty good. The, the first epilogue, really good art. There's a Kal-El killer and Valzad needs John. Um, okay, cool. Second epilogue, fantastic art. I am completely confused as to what is happening with Metello or why it's happening at all. So as much as I thought that this issue would blow me away with its creative team, I'm kind of underwhelmed. It's not a bad book. It's a good one. But it is decidedly not all it was supposed to be. It was not all it was built up to be and certainly not what I expected. Um, compared to all of that, it felt really lackluster. Iffy art. Iffy plots. So for me, it gets an iffy score. I gave it a 7 out of 10. And that wraps it up for the week. We have covered all of the books, so we're going to move on to the parts that we liked. Not just the talking, but picking out the ones that we thought were the best. This is our top three and our favorite moment. See, you guys are excited about it too. All right, so Rob, you want to go ahead and give us your top three and favorite moment? I pretty much only read the books we were covering uh, with the exception <laughs> of DC Mech number 6 I rather enjoyed that, that did not make my top 3 though at number 3 I had Harley Quinn at number 2 I had Detective Comics and at number 1 I had Action Comics uh, and the favorite moments I had again Lex saying I let you keep your marriage but the boy was questionable because that's a hell of a promo <laughs> How about you, Brandon? Uh, mine are kind of similar to uh, to Rob's at uh, number three. Um, I had, um, oh my god, why did I not? This is why I need to write things down so I, I can remember what I need. Um, no, at number three, I had Bluebeam. 
Graduation Day, at number two, Detective Comics, and, or sorry, at number two, at Action Comics, and number one, I had Detective Comics, but my favorite moment, um, I'm, I'm also going to steal Rob's and say it's the, you're lucky I let you keep your beverage, you know, but it's not for that reason, it's mostly just for the design of Lex's robotic armor, because it has the words Lex across, like, his chest going down to his torso and it's so utterly ridiculous yeah. it's such a ridiculous design but i love it like it, it's it looks like something from a manga but it just it's so hilarious that i could totally see lex wearing something like that i didn't even like not even luthor it just says lex <laughs> why lex Corp. yeah all right well Have... my top three are different from yours my original third place did go to John Stewart the Emerald Knight number one however after much discussion about the confusion that takes place and pointing it out to me that I really don't know what the fuck happened I'm gonna drop that out and give it to the one that was just underneath that Punchline Gotham Girl fantastic book and surprising the shit out of me that I like it so much number two not surprised that I liked it so much Dead Boy Detectives fucking awesome if you're not reading it and you can handle a little bit of gore or you're not sick you should pick it up and read it number one though um it just keeps getting better and better and better and that's detective comics now my favorite moment i want to say it was uh when i cracked open dead boys but it i i'm gonna be a little less generic there um it it does come across as two longer moments and that is when the Bruce and Orgum and Batman and Freeze parallels were drawn in Detective Comics. Oh, yeah. I started, I, it never crossed my mind. And the fact that it was brought up and said and presented in such that way, dude, I was like, that is fucking cool. And I want to see where it goes from there. So that is my favorite moment. Uh, before and we continue, there's, there's one, one more thing about Lex I forgot. Speaking of... Uh, self-centered Lex. Did you guys see his watch face when Clark showed up at LexCorp? Uh, I did. A Molex. Not a Rolex, but a yes. Molex because they can't use the name. A Molex. But, but the I, I was going to carry that because I didn't think anyone would see it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Brilliant. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's the subtle things that just show his ego that make it so much better. Yeah. <laughs> but it it really makes me, and this is like just totally ancillary, but I, I just want to wonder, like, what exactly does a Lex-funded watch company look like? Because you have to imagine they're super, you know, vanity-driven. Like, they're obviously just all about Lex and his image. But imagine someone, like, just, you know, some casual person just wearing that. No. That's what I want to know. That's what I need to see. Give me, give me a Tales of Metropolis special about Lex's various businesses. Yeah, I'd be well, so down to see that. But I, I did not, um, I did not notice the watch face, so I had to do a quick yeah. Google, and it turns out that mm -hmm. Molex watches are actually a thing in um, India and or in 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 basically South Asia. Um, so I hope nobody catches a lawsuit for that one. Um, like, with the name Molex, it does scream knockoff watch. <laughs> oh, God, it certainly does. And I have no doubt. That, see, these are even sold on Alibaba. So, yeah, knockoffs, definitely possible. 
<laughs> they knocked off a knockoff? Sweet, double <laughs> homicide. <laughs> that would stink, and so does this. It is time for... Well, no, it, that wasn't right. It's time for... The Biggest Thinker. Oh, that's nasty. Yes, it is. It is time for the biggest stinker. I'll go ahead and kick this off because it is no mystery to anybody that Tim Blows Drake is my biggest stinker. How about you, Rob? I, I agree. It was kind of boring this week. Yeah. Yeah, mine is probably probably also Tim. No, I'd have to give it to Emerald Knight. That's definitely got to be my one. That is your one? All right. Yep. Well, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you guys to hate Rosmo. We're not going to swing the other way. You guys aren't going to convince me that he's great. I'm going to convince you that he sucks. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> I'm going to try, though. <laughs> But that is the end of the show. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Brandon. And thank you, listeners, for listening in. If you want to give us a little bit of help, show us a little bit of love, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash NAR podcast. You can hit us up at NAR comics on Instagram. Is that right, Rob? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. That's right. <laughs> All right, and um, uh, you can always uh, hit us up on our email as well, which is comics at notarobotpodcast.com. And with that exceptionally long, drawn-out self-promo, we're going to go ahead and end things. As always, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. All right. Okay. I